You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. In the gray dawn of an April day in 1945, in a Nazi camp near Flossburg, a pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed. He was ex executed by special order of Heinrich Himmler, Hitler's executioner. He had been arrested two years before, and over the period of those two years, he had been transferred from one prison to another prison to another prison, from Tegel to Berlin to Buchenwald to Schomburg, and finally to Flossenburg. And in the moving of Bonhoeffer from place to place, he lost all connection and contact with the outside world. Everyone that he knew was severed from him. He, he lost, according to his own testimony, the most precious possession that he had, and that possession was fellowship. Bonhoeffer wrote a book entitled Life Together, and it's based on Psalm 133. And if you have never read that classic book that Bonhoeffer wrote, I would encourage you to read that book, Life Together. It's a great, it's a great and quick read. It's only about 120 some pages long. You can even find it if you Google it online. You can get... Um, a downloadable copy and read that, but it's a tremendous read. And in, in that book, um, he, he talks about fellowship. And I want to just read a, a portion of the introduction that was written about him. It says, his last weeks were spent with men and women of many nationalities, Russians, Englishmen, Frenchmen, Italians, and Germans. One of, the, one of these, an English officer, wrote, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few prisoners I have ever met for whom God was real and always near. On Sunday, April 8, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment, the thoughts and the, revolution, the, the resolutions it had brought us. He had heartily ended his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had only one meaning for all prisoners, the gallows. We said goodbye to him, and he took me aside. This is the end, but for me, it is the beginning of life. The next day, he was hung in Flossenburg. The text on which he spoke on that last day was, with his stripes, we are healed. And so such was the life and death of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a teacher of the church in the highest sense of the word, a writer of profound the theological and biblical insight, and yet closely, close to contemporary life and sensitivity to reality, 
a witness who saw the way of discipleship and he walked in that way to the very end. Bonhoeffer had written this book before, years before he was ever put to death. And he wrote in that book of the richness of fellowship, which he during imprisonment leading up to his death had lost. And this is what he said. This was before his imprisonment. He said, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. A physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Furthermore, he went on to write, let him who has such a privilege thank God at his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. That's the church. That's what fellowship is all about. If you have have never really studied the book of Acts, I would encourage you to do a study in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, it records the birth of the church and when the Holy Spirit had descended upon the 120 believers who were assembled together there in that upper room. It also records the growth process of that infant church. On the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people believed the gospel. They repented of their sins, and they were baptized as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. They devoted themselves to this whole idea of fellowship. It wasn't something that just kind of happened for them, but they were devoted. They gave themselves over to this idea of fellowship with one another. The last sentence of Acts 2.47 reports, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here they are. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. And the Lord added daily such as should be saved. So we notice that God did not add people to the church without saving them. And God did not save them without adding them to the church. So this this organic union of of personal salvation and church membership is the unchanging pattern of the New Testament. Now, there are a lot of things that have changed over the years that I've been in the ministry. And some of those things have been this idea that we don't really need a church. We don't really need each other. We can just worship God. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be a member of a church and all of that. But that's not the pattern that we see in the New Testament. And throughout church history, whenever biblical Christianity has been practiced, Christians have had a high view of the church. Unfortunately, this is not the case in the day and times in which we live today. There are many today, both unbelievers and professing Christians, who question the necessity and the relevance and the importance of the local church. And our generation has created kind of a whole new category that biblical and historical Christianity never conceived of, and that is unchurched Christians. 
It's not, you don't see that in the, in the, in the word of God. So in contrast, the, the position of historic Christianity can be summarized in the words of, of Cyprian, who said outside the church, there is no salvation. In other words, the biblical answer to the question, who needs the church, is this, whoever wants to be saved. Now, this does not mean that church membership, that church attendance, that church participation can save you. God forgives our sins by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus Christ alone. But God has made the church the steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so a person can be a church member without being a Christian. But I'm not so sure that a person can be a healthy and growing and faithful Christian without becoming a participating member of a local church. You see, Christian assembly is a biblical requirement for Christians. Now tonight we are going to look at the main, the fifth main purpose of Fellowship Baptist Church. It, this is our final message in our series on being passionate about. We have looked at four main reasons already that we exist as a church family, and that is to worship uh, God and to be involved in ministry together, to be involved in evangelism and discipleship. And now tonight is our fifth one, and we're talking about fellowship. Tonight we're going to find ourselves in the book of Hebrews, so I encourage you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And we find that the writer of Hebrews talks much about the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that is just the overriding theme of the book of Hebrews is, is that Christ is superior to everything and everyone that has ever been created. He is superior. So the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is far superior and, and, uh, and it talks about how worship of him far surpasses the old ways of worship. The Old Testament writes about animal sacrifices and so forth. Now the reason he is, the writer here is stressing the superiority of the new way in the Lord Jesus Christ is because some of the Jewish believers of his day were under such persecution that many of them were deciding to go back into the old way, to go back into the old religious system of Judaism and the old ways of worshiping God under the old covenant. They were, they were walking away from their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And others were thinking about defecting from the faith. And so that is why the writer is writing here. So, so the writer of Hebrews stresses the importance of sticking with their confession of Christ. Not giving up. Continuing to run the journey together with one another. We need each other and even, even more so as we go through times of persecution. As we go through times of trials, we need to have one another to encourage and to build one another up so that we can go through those and, and, and keep from falling backwards. Now, prior to the Lord Jesus Christ, the average person could not go to God directly. In fact, someone said that the Old Testament way of worship kept the average person out of the presence of God, while the New Testament way of worship brought the average person into the very presence of God. 
And that's, that, that's pretty well true when you think of the way they worshiped in the Old Testament. You see, not, not just any person could enter into the tabernacle. First of all, you had to be a Jew just to go into the special outer court of that tabernacle. And, and the only way you could go into the next room of the tabernacle was to be a priest. In other words, you had to be born of the tribe of Levi to get into that next level. And then there was another level beyond that, another room, a place that was called the Holy of Holies. And a thick curtain or a, or a veil separated that room from all of the others. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept the very presence of God. And the only person who could go in there into that very special place was the high priest. And he didn't just go there at any time that he pleased. The high priest could go, could, had to go through a lot of ritualistic cleansing and, and so forth in order to go into the Holy of Holies. And he had to bring a, a blood sacrifice, the blood of an animal sacrifice to enter in. And he could only go in there once a year on a day that was called the Day of Atonement. So the writer of Hebrews is talking about a new way. He's talking about how blessed these folks were to be able to go directly to God without a priest. You see, they understood, they remembered all of that Old Testament way of worshiping God and how they couldn't go into the very presence of God. And he's saying, now we can go into God's presence directly. He says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 and, and 20, he says, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath cre uh, consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that the curtain of the temple was separated, which separated men from the Holy of Holies. The very presence of God was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus died on the cross, his death resulted in a new way to enter into the very presence of God. And when he shed his blood, his sacrifice was the final and perfect sacrifice for our sins. Never again would there have to be an animal sacrifice. That's why the writer of Hebrews continues in verse 21 and 22, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. So Jesus is our high priest. We need, we, we need no other person to go to God for us. We, each one of us, can go into the very presence of God. And so we who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior can go directly to God in prayer. And the New Testament is clear. There is no need for any priest to go to God for me. There's no need for, for you to have a priest go to God for you. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And so we can draw near to God through Christ. Then the writer encouraged the Jewish believers to hold fast the profession of their faith without wavering. In other words, he's, he's saying to them, keep trusting Christ. Don't fall back into that old way of worship, but keep, 
keep trusting. Don't go back. Just, just keep moving forward. You may be being persecuted and you may be going through trials, but you need to keep moving forward. That's what he meant, means when he says there in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Now, here are the two verses that I really wanna talk about tonight. In these two verses, verses 24 and 25, they speak of the importance of fellowship. Verse 24 says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching. So every Christian is on the same journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Now we might be at different levels, but we're all on that process of being coming more and more like Jesus Christ. So picture in your mind a pathway on which Christians are walking together or maybe even running together. And, and we're all going in the same direction. We're all heading towards that final goal of meeting Jesus Christ face to face. We look forward to that glorious day when we will be in his presence. You got the picture in your mind? All Christians are journeying together on the straight and narrow path that leads to light. That picture illustrates discipleship. Growing up together, maturing in our Christian faith. Now then, how we interact with one another on the journey is what the word fellowship is all about. Fellowship is about the way in which Christians interact with one another on the journey to the finish line. So it's the way that families relate to one another. Christianity is a, is a one another life. It's a life that is, is to be lived together. You see, you see the words one another and together in these two verses. Verse 24 has let us consider one another. Verse 25, not forsakenly the assembling of ourselves together, but exhorting one another. So fellowship is, is the mingling together and the interacting with one another as we live this life for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not run the race alone. We're all, we're all in this race together. And, and so, um, so our, our fellowship is that, that mingling there. There is no such thing as an independent Christian. No such thing. We are a family. Fellowship is about family relations. So I wanna to talk to you tonight about improving family relations along our journey together. There are three things in these two verses built around what we are told to do regarding fellow members. So number one, I must take seriously my consideration of fellow members. And we see that there in verse 24 when he says, and let us consider one another to provoke one another, uh, or to provoke unto love and to good works. So the word considered there is a word that means to fix our eyes or our minds upon something. 
So when we come together, we are instructed in, in the scriptures to have an, in, uh, an outward focus by fixing our eyes on one another. We are to come not with our eyes upon ourselves, but with our eyes upon the others that are around us. And it's interesting in these two verses that the stress is upon what we can, what we can contribute to the family of God rather than what we can get from the family of God. You see, too many people today care only about what they can get out of church. I didn't get anything. The, the pastor didn't feed me today. I, did, I didn't get the strokes today that I wanted or that I felt like I needed. We focus too much on what we can get out of it. What can I get to, from church? What can the church give to me or do for me? The writer of Hebrews said, let us consider one another. Do you, do you know the, the words one another occurs 50, over 50 times in the New Testament? We are told in the New Testament that we are to love one another and admonish one another and teach one another and confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another and to honor one another and to carry one another's burden, to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another, to be kind one to another, to bear one another's burden. It's not about me. It's about others. And we, we've got that so wrong when we think that it's all about me. I didn't get anything. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, the Apostle Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife and vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves, looking not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Now, I'm glad to say that that, that the members here at Fellowship Baptist Church, this is an other-centered fellowship of believers, and that's tremendous. And so let us consider one another for, for what reason? To provoke unto love and good works. That's our assignment. We come to worship on Sunday with a view towards others that you might stir them up to love and good works. So the writer of Hebrews is saying here, in essence, if you're, if you're going to stir anything up, stir people up in love and good works. You see, there's plenty of people that will stir up a lot of other problems in the church and stir up a lot of strife and stir up a lot of contention, but the writer is saying, stir up love, encourage one another. Show your love for one another by the way that you act, by the way that you speak. When you love others and you serve others, the writer of Hebrews says, you will inspire others to, to love others and to serve others themselves. And so if I'm going to improve family relations at Fellowship Baptist Church, then I must take seriously my consideration for fellow members. I need to care about others in the church. I need, to, I need to pray for them. I need, to, I need to remember when they say that they are having issues in their life or trials or hardship and remember to pray for them and then follow that up. How are you doing, brother? How, I've been praying for you. We care about each other. 
Secondly, if I'm going to improve family relationships and take fellowship seriously, not only must I take seriously my consideration of fellow members, but I must take seriously my dedication to fellow members. In verse 25, the first part of it there, he said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So there in the Bible, you have a, a verse that mandates, I believe, regular worship attendance, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The words are, are in the present tense. And yet there are so many who, who just, just miss church on a regular basis, sometimes for no reason at all. And, and we think that's okay. But we are, to, we are to continue meeting together in regular public worship. That's what, the, that's what the verse says there. And someone says, well, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that I have to go to church. Wrong. <laughs> Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, I don't, I don't think that, that we're to obey that verse legalistically. You know, well, I've got to go to church every week because the Bible says I got to, I got to go to church. I got to check that off my list. No, that's, that's missing the point altogether. We should not think of regular attendance in worship on Sunday as something that we have to do, but something that we want to do because we want to go and encourage somebody. We want to go and build somebody up. We want to go and minister to somebody. We want to go and worship the presence of Christ as we, we've looked at all of these things and they all blend together. And that's the whole point of, of what the writer of Hebrews was saying back up in verse 19 and following. It, it's like he's saying, man, don't you remember what a privilege it is to be able to come into the very presence of God, to worship God, to be in the presence of God himself without the aid of a priest? Don't you folks remember when we had to stand on the outside of the, uh, of the courts there and, and we couldn't get into the very presence of God? Have you forgotten about what a joy it was when you realized that you could go into the presence of God and talk to God? and that he wants to listen to you. It's like, remember what Jesus did for you and, and you won't have any trouble getting out of bed on Sunday morning, you know? Some of us have forgotten where we were when Jesus, when we were without Jesus. We were separated from God because of sin. We were on our way to hell and God took a hold of our hearts and he saved us from our sins. Remember what Jesus Christ did for you and you won't have any trouble getting here on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and Wednesday night when you remember the grace of God in our life and how we didn't even deserve it and yet he loved us and he saved us from our sin. And so I must take seriously my dedication to fellow believers. We need one another. They need, you need me and I, I need you. And as we all minister to one another, everybody gets ministered to. Just as a human body is comprised of many members and our, our parts, our cells, so the body of Christ is comprised of many members or, or many different parts. And like healthy cells, we all have a part in the body of Christ. We're, we're all to use the talents and the gifts and, and the experiences to serve one another. 
And so as cells that make up the body of Christ, we must be dedicated to one another. So what if one of the members decides to go off and do his own thing? Well, in a physical body, we'd call that renegade cell a cancer cell. It doesn't want to do what the other cells are doing. It wants to separate from the other cells, the, the healthy cells, and it wants to do its own thing, and it creates this cancer that is so destructive inside of our human bodies. It wants to do its own thing. So it destroys the body. Don't be a renegade cell in the church of Christ. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you know, I'm not going to name names here. I, I, I get that picture when I, when I see him saying, as the manner of some. I, I'm not going to name names, but we all know who left the church. We all know who has given up. They place, their, they place their own needs above the needs of the other fellow members here. Don't be like them. Stay dedicated to one another. Don't walk away. See how important church membership is? Why, why, why join the local church? Well, it is a given, first of all. The New Testament writer just, just takes for granted that every Christian is an active member of a local body of believers. I mean, when you, when you read the New Testament, it's pretty clear that a person trusts Christ, he gets baptized and he becomes an active member of the local church. And the idea, the idea is so pop, popular today of just attending church and not, not committing to a church is, is completely foreign to the New Testament. Some folks just attend church fellowship without ever committing to a local body. They like to get the fringe benefits, but they don't really want, they don't want the commitment that goes along with it. Some refer to them, to those kind of people as bunny Christians. They just hop from one church to another and they're just kind of bouncing around out there and they never get connected and they never grow. I think of the writer of the New Testaments were confronted with how some Christians questioned the need for church membership. They would scratch their heads in wonder and say, what, what more can we say than what we've already said here? So being a Christian without being a member of a church is kind of like a bee without a hive or, or, or a sailor without a ship or a parent without a family or a soldier without an army or a football player without a team. What kind of commitment is that? Imagine many years ago when I first met my wife, well, she was my wife when I met her. I met Melanie many years ago. And, uh, and imagine if that first time that, uh, that we were together, I said, you know, you know I, I really, I'm really attracted to you. I probably said that anyways, but uh, imagine I said, I'm really attracted to you. And, and, and I kind of like to hang out with you for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, I just, just hang around and uh, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to get tied down. I mean, I want to be able to come and go as I please and do my own thing. But you know, if it's okay with you, I'm just, we're just going to hang together. I, I probably wouldn't be here with her tonight. <laughs> no commitment. And, and, and that's the way a lot of people are with the church. There's no commitment there. 
And so I must take seriously my consideration of fellow members and my dedication to fellow members. But number three, if I'm going to be serious about fellowship and about improving family relations, then I must take seriously my exhortation of fellow members. In the second part of verse 25 there, he says, um, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That word translated exhorting carries the idea of encouraging one another. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Remember, remember the context here. The new believers in Christ were undergoing persecution for their faith because they left Judaism and they were following this new way of worship without the animal sacrifices and all that and they put their faith in trust in Jesus Christ and they are tempted now to give up their faith in Christ and to go back into the old ways. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you guys, don't stop meeting together. You need one another. Encourage one another. Hang in there with one another. And the same is true for you and me. We need encouragement, don't we? I mean, we, we get beat up all week long. Isn't it great to be able to come to a place like this and get encouraged by one another and to encourage one another? We, we are all discouraged once in a while. And so fellowship is about exhorting one another, encouraging one another. Who have you encouraged today? The word exhorting carries the idea of encouraging, but it also carries the idea of warning. See, it's kind of twofold there. If you see a brother or sister stumbling, or brother or sister who is falling into sin. In this case, there were brothers or sisters who were trying, who were starting to fade back into Judaism and leaving Christ. But if you see somebody in that position of, of stumbling or falling into sin, lovingly go to that person with a view towards holding them accountable. Encourage them, but hold them accountable. Remind them of what Christ has done for them. Remind them of how their sins have been forgiven and paid for on the cross of Calvary. Lovingly leading them to do the right things. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. See, we, we all get beat up, and we all become discouraged. The body of Christ is here to exhort one another, to help one another out. We need one another. We keep one another encouraged. Without one another, we are in danger of dying out. You ever sit around a campfire and watch that fire burn? It's an amazing thing. You just, you watch it burn and you kind of move those coals up against each other and the flames come up and it keeps nice and hot. And so you see, you see the coals uh, nestled there together. They're drawing strength from one another as the fire burns bright. But if you were to take those coals and you begin to spread them out and lay them further apart to where they weren't touching each other, in no time at all, the fire will begin to dim. And over a very short period of time, it will lose its strength and it will eventually simply die out. 
blessed be the tie that binds. Our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comfort and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows a sympathizing prayer. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. That's fellowship. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.